<laughs> Hello, and welcome to the Coffee Celebration. Today, um, I am interviewing Mama Foxfire. She is a mental health advocate, a single mom, full-time proposal manager, variety gamer. She hosts a mental health-focused talk show on Twitch and a podcast called Even Tacos Fall Apart. So I'm so delighted you're here, and I have everything that I want to ask, but <laughs> I think we start at the beginning. Sure. Uh, where are you from? I'm very linear. So, like, where are you from? And then, like, give us just the overview of, of your background. Yeah, so I'm from Texas. I live in North Texas. Um, I was born here, raised here. I've lived kind of like different cities and everything around North Texas, but um, still here. I moved back close to my hometown to be near my parents and uh, my grandmother who has dementia so that I can help care for her and everything um, at, while she needs it. And so I still still am here, but I have been through a lot in my life. Sometimes when I list it all out, you know, it it's a it's <laughs> my timeline is extensive, <laughs> even though I'm not, you know, I'm only in my mid 30s. So um, but I've I've lived with I've been living with depression and anxiety um, since 2015 and also CPTSD from an abusive marriage and also went through postpartum depression. Um, uh, some of the, I guess, major life events for me, you mentioned I'm a single mom and that's, that is the case. I did get divorced a few years ago, uh, which was hindered by COVID. So that was a, a nightmare, but, um, and then my, one of my grandfathers went missing and then one of my grandfathers died to men's breast cancer. So those are a couple of things that I do to raise awareness. I also have one child who is trans and also uh, struggles with anxiety. I have one child who has Tourette syndrome and uh, potentially ADHD, but not diagnosed because I don't want that in like the school system. I feel like they can deal with Tourette's and it'll handle everything for ADHD, but his neurologist was on the same page with that. So um so yeah, a lot of my advocacy is um, centered around those things. <laughs> That's kind of my why are the major life events that I've been through and some of the things that I've lived through. So yeah. That's a lot to unpack. Yes. Uh, <laughs> we have very similar um, challenges that we have been through. I wonder, and correct me if I'm wrong, if the stereotype of Texas, because I'm from Colorado, I live in mm -hmm. Ohio. And first of all, Texas is so hot. I, I can't even go. It um, is hot. It's really you. humid today. Oh, no, thank you. Um, <laughs> but like with everything on your platter, it's not a plate anymore. It is a serving platter. Yes. <laughs> um, with having um, children that are not what people would, I guess, call typical. I don't mm -hmm. have children. Um, how do you advocate for them in a state that doesn't recognize one of your children yeah. how, how does that happen yeah so um most people are like oh texas stereotypes aren't real they are y'all they really are i mean all of them whatever you're thinking it's true <laughs> which is really unfortunate because i don't know growing up it didn't seem like such a bad state and now as an adult i'm just like get me out of here but i have legal agreements that I can't move until the kids are 18 and all of that. Right. So uh, I, ha I have to stay here. I'm kind of stuck here. So, but <clears throat> yeah, I mean, as far as advocating for my kids, especially my oldest. So one of the things I mentioned that I moved back fairly yeah. recently, my grandmother was diagnosed with dementia. Um, and so 
one of the things that I did to make sure that we were going into a place that was going to be safe for him was to reach out to each of the school districts in the area and say, listen, if you if you get a child who is trans or even a child who is gay, like how do you handle that in your schools? Is that something that you recognize? Is that something that you work with the child? Is that something you work with your other students? Do you have any programs in place? And I will tell you, there's one school district, the school district that I graduated from, which is Red Oak ISD. I don't mind putting them on blast. They were they responded and said um, <clears throat> that they don't believe that transgender is real that they specifically hire conservative teachers, that they feel like being a conservative school district is part of their draw. And I'm like, I don't, I don't know if, if y'all cuss on this podcast, but yes, feel that, free. It's that, all yeah, being that was a big, absolutely. So that was a big, like, okay, well, fuck you then. <laughs> <laughs> so I, I changed our search and said, I told my real estate agent, I was like, listen, not Red Oak. So we actually moved right. The school district next door responded completely differently. They said, we believe that kids are kids and that they need to be supported in whatever way they want to be supported. We work with kids. We do not push any views on them, but we work with them where they are. We make sure that everyone is comfortable. If there's ever an issue with bullying or anything, we handle that on both sides, on all sides and everything. And so it was just like the the total opposite response. Yeah. And so we moved into that school district. And so one of the ways I guess that my advocacy ties to my kids is just making sure that I'm not setting them up for failure. Yeah. You know? Um, and then with my youngest who has Tourette syndrome, it's just working with his teachers, you know, there, <laughs> there have been some ticks that are a little more embarrassing for adults than they are for kids. Mm-hmm. Uh, and so it's kind of like I'll get a call from one of his teachers and she'll be like, oh, he's making this really weird moaning sound. And I'm, I'm going, yeah, so that's from a meme. <laughs> and so I have to keep up with what he's doing and watching because his tics will be driven by what he's exposed to. And while the things that he's exposed to aren't bad things, some mm-hmm. of them out of context sound really awkward. <laughs> and how old was he when he was diagnosed? So he was diagnosed when he was um, six. I think he was already six. He had been experiencing ticks since he was four. It's it's um, one of the things that I didn't realize was Tourette syndrome was that all of his ticks were motor to begin with. And when he was diagnosed, I finally took him in because he started to have vocal ticks as well. And so I took him into a neurologist, mostly because my ex-husband was punishing him for ticks. And I was like, listen, he literally can't control it. And he's like, you don't know that. You're just making up a diagnosis. I was like, okay, screw you. I'll go get him a diagnosis from a neurologist. Like, right. let's go. So um, he still, unfortunately, he still punishes for ticks, which is really uh, terrible. But it's, uh, yeah, it's it's not good. It's not good. So I just do what I can anytime that I hear that it's happened to remind him like, hey, maybe you should go to a doctor's appointment with me and with our son. Mm-hmm. to get questions answered if you want to. Of course, he never does. But no. no. Um, Holy Toledo. So yeah. does, does your ex recognize your oldest? Oh, no. No. Oh. I, um, so I, they have two different dads. Oh. And, and my oldest, um, when my ex was coming to like soccer games and stuff, my ex 
husband would dead name him. And at one point I said, what does that mean? Uh, dead name. Dead name means using the old name. So, right. So using the old name, old pronouns instead of the chosen name, chosen pronouns. And I turned to him and, and I said, listen, you either call my child by the correct name and use the correct pronouns, or you don't talk about them ever again. Mm-hmm. And he didn't show up for the next few soccer games. And then at one point he sent an email. I said, we're done. Don't ever mention my child again, ever. Don't talk yeah. to me about him. Mm-hmm. Like we're done. We're done with that conversation. You mention it. I'm so going to ignore that you did. Doesn't see that. See him, does he? No, no, not really. In oh. passing, like at soccer games and stuff. So that's the thing is that, of course, I still go. My oldest still wants to go to his little brother's soccer games and everything. And I'm never going to say no to that. And right. so it's like, there's still some passing um, interaction, but there's not any like visitation or anything. Oh my gosh. Yeah. Oh, okay. And he has this, he has similar issues with his biological father as well, where he doesn't recognize anything. He doesn't use the correct pronouns or anything. And I get into it with him a lot too. <laughs> Uh, I'm a fighter. I don't like, I, I don't just roll over and, and take it. So, um, and because my oldest has anxiety because he struggles with some of these things, which we're working on, he's in therapy. We're working on all of, you know, life skills and everything. But I feel like there are plenty of times where, because even though I have anxiety, it doesn't like my fight or flight kicks in and the fight takes over the anxiety. Like, done <laughs> easy <laughs> yeah i think those are very good healthy boundaries if, yeah. if i say so um because i too am a single mom and i was married for 17 and a half years and i have three boys um oh bless you <laughs> they're 20 17 and almost 14 good um, job mom oh, they're my <laughs> they've <favorite>. survived <laughs> Um, definitely. Uh, but it is, it's, um, you know, my oldest has autism and an intellectual disability mm-hmm. and it is hard for his father to relate to him, meet his needs. Mm-hmm. And it's, it's really hard to see because I can't always stop my life to sure. jump in and, and help, but, um, can definitely relate to that that fighter yeah. spirit and that amazing energy you have. Um, so as you were growing up, um, did you have anxiety then? Um, no. No, so not really. I mean, I my anxiety <clears throat> really started as an adult and it started in my marriage. So I mentioned that I was in an abusive marriage. It was emotionally, mentally, sexually abusive, not physically abusive. Sexually abusive is physical abuse, however, but not like there was no hitting. There were no bruises, essentially. Um, and so my anxiety was driven by the situation that I was in. Uh-huh. And because of the way that it was um, driven into me, that things were my fault, that everything was um, that everything was because of me, it kind of turned that anxiety on. Now, I had performance anxiety when I was a kid, but I, that's not the kind of anxiety that I'm that I struggle yeah. with now. So. Um, it's, it was very much just driven by my marriage, the situation that I was in. Um, and that's kind of what set it off. 
And then where it increased was not only when I found out about my ex-husband's affairs the first time and the second time and the third time, (laughs) Um, but also when my grandfather went missing, that anxiety kind of kicked off a little bit more even. And so find your grandfather, uh, he, his remains were actually found just this year. And we just had a service for him a couple weeks ago, finally. So he went missing in 2017 and he, his remains were identified this year. Oh my goodness. Yeah. Did he just take off? Um, well, the circumstances around his disappearance are, uh, suspicious. They, the two main things that the uh, sheriff's department believes are either murder or suicide because there was blood on the scene. Uh, there were some things missing in the shop. And when he was found, he was found in a location that uh, would be kind of hard to get to on your own, unless you're going by boat or something like that. However, um, I strongly believe that he did take his own life and that that is what happened. Um, and so I use his story to raise um, awareness around suicide. You know, it's not just someone who you think is struggling because he was happy, healthy, you know, grandfather. <laughs> and that no one in the community, everyone was shocked. He was highly involved in church. He was highly involved. And he was a retired Dallas fireman. And so he just like he had all this community around him. But you don't know what someone is going through at all. Yeah. So have you been able to like reconcile that? Um, you know, I know there's sometimes some guilt with grief and deny, you know, we've all gone through those steps. Mm-hmm. Um, but how did it affect now? Is this your mother's father? Yes. Mm-hmm. How did, how did she, I mean, this is, how did she respond? I don't even know. Yeah. The, the whole, it was crazy because the whole family, like every person had a different grief pattern. Like yeah. none of us were really on the same ever on the same like step, you know? And of course, grief is cyclical. It comes in waves. It's just Mm -hmm. like, it's, and you might think that you're completely um, healed from something. And then all of a sudden something will happen. And like with his remains being found, you know, that brought up a lot of emotions, but just because you're, you have gone through grieving doesn't mean that you are emotionless about something. Um, And so my mom really kind of dug into, okay, what needs to happen? What, like what searches need to happen? What agencies need to get involved? So we had um, the County Sheriff's Department, the FBI, the Texas Rangers, all of them were involved in the case. Um, And we, you know, hired a private investigator. My aunt was highly involved with hiring a private investigator. So it just, I will say like my whole family really came together right after he went missing to just say, what can we do? Like what needs to happen right now? What can, what can be done at this moment? And then as time has gone on, you know, even for the uh, burial and memorial service that we had for him just recently, it's um, okay. What, what needs to happen so that we can give him a better resting place than under a tree in a swamp. (laughs) Right. Right. (laughs) So you're, you're so spot on about the grief. I mean, mm-hmm. I have lost some very close people to me and it's like, I can be in the grocery store, hear a song and I'm, I'm done. I got to yes. go 
my car or, or something like that. So here is your awful marriage. Um, mm-hmm. That means not worthy of you. And anxiety spikes. Mm-hmm. And um, how long were you married? And how were you able to protect your kids? So we were, um, we were married for 10 years. Uh-huh. And I filed for divorce um, almost exactly 10 years after after we got married. However, that was in late 2019 and early 2020 right. was COVID, which delayed the court. So I think my divorce was actually finalized in like 2021, but it was filed in, in 2019. So oh, it's, it's um, you know, I did my best with the kids, but honestly, like I was, there were times where I was passively suicidal. There were times where all I could do was get myself out of bed for my kids. So I don't think I was as good of a mother as I needed to be as far as protecting them goes. Um, But it was just like, I was in survival mode. Honestly, it was just, what do I need to do? What has to happen today to get us all through the day? And that's it. So how did you address your anxiety during this time? I to a therapist. Yes. (laughs) Yeah. So I started going to a therapist. Um, when did I start going to that? To the, well, I went to my, my first experience with a therapist was terrible. (laughs) She was awful. Yeah. She, and I had no idea that she was awful. I thought that's just what therapy was. Um, because I didn't know any better. This was in like 2015. Uh, and it was right after the discovery of one of my <clears throat> one of my husband's affairs, I went to a therapist and yeah. she very much pushed the like, here's a worksheet. Do this worksheet. You're going to feel better. Oh, you don't feel better. Maybe you should get outside more. Like it was very, te- it was terrible. It was so bad. And nothing that I said, there was never any validation for my feelings from her or anything. Um, Actually, the the first person and this is crazy, especially if you consider that it's in Texas. <laughs> Everything I'm about to say is crazy. Um, the first person to validate my feelings related to my husband's affairs was a sheriff's deputy. Because wow. we were dealing with a stalker situation, which was one of my ex-husband's oh my affair partner's husbands. And he was your ex. He was stalking my ex at first. And then me, and then me and the kids. Oh, he, where, oh, okay, go ahead, finish. Yeah. So we went through, that was a, a long, a lot of, if, by the way, if you're ever in a stalking situation, call 911. Don't call a non-emergency number. Don't call anyone else. Call 911 every time something happens because that paper trail is what helped put him in jail. Okay. Um. And so <clears throat> we were having all these issues. I was calling 911 probably once a day for a little while. And finally, one of the sheriff's deputies who responded said, look, here's what you need to do. You're going to be as big of a pain in the ass as you can be. You're going to go down to the sheriff's department in downtown Fort Worth. You're Uh going to sit there until they listen to you. And you're going to make them make a full report, including taking evidence from your phone, because whenever they respond, they can't take evidence from your phone. They can you they can look at it, they can make a note of it, but they can't actually take the evidence into custody. So okay. I went downtown. I did an interview with the sheriff's deputy that was in the downtown office. Uh they took my phone for a day 
And I just kept apologizing. I was like, I'm so sorry for taking up your time. I'm so sorry. I feel so stupid. Like this isn't something that y'all need to be spending your time on. And um, he said something like, well, you need to just get your husband to stop fucking other women. And then he stopped himself and he said, I'm so sorry. That's not your fault. And I was just like, that was the first time someone had said that to me. (laughs) And I had been in therapy, you know? Uh, So when did you drop this? therapist and find another one. Oh, I think I went to her like five times. And then I was just like, yeah, we're done here. Um, And then I I went to another therapist uh, probably about a year later is when I was like, you know, I'm going to give therapy another try. I'm just not doing very well. Um, And so I I found another therapist and she was wonderful. Absolutely wonderful. So don't be afraid to fire your therapist and find another one. If they if they suck, (laughs) just know that it's not all therapists that suck. (laughs) Right. <laughs> but so there are some happened- bad ones out there. Totally. I've had a few myself. Um, what happened to Stalker Man? Oh, he went to jail. So they took they took my phone. They took all of the evidence because I had text messages, phone calls, voicemails. Like mm-hmm. I, had, I had everything that they could possibly need. Um, I hired a lawyer to send a cease and desist letter to him, mm-hmm. his employer and his wife. Um, and then they arrested him a couple of months later. And he went to jail and I never heard from him again. I don't know if he stayed in jail. Right. I don't know. Like, I don't know. They'd never need anything else from me. And he stopped trying to to contact me and stopped showing up places. And so I was just like, good, that's handled. <laughs> that is so much to yeah. deal with. Yeah. An abusive ex, your mm-hmm. grandfather, your children, you know, supporting them in every way possible. This stalker man, mm-hmm. I'm just like, do you work a full-time job? I, I mean, do. I do. <laughs> yeah. So I'm a proposal manager in uh, for an engineering firm. And so I work mostly with the Navy now. At the time, I was working mostly with the Air Force oh. uh, to sell our services to the Air Force. Very nice. Yeah. Oh so with this therapist, mm-hmm. when did you feel that? you could live with the anxiety. I know it's it's a weird question, but yeah, you all live with it. So, yeah. So, um, I guess the anxiety wasn't ever really the thing that I couldn't live with. It sucked. Don't get me wrong. Like it, it sucked. It's not fun to deal with, but it was really the depression that I was dealing with. That was more of the problem. Like it was the fourth, it was the, it was the problem up here and the anxiety is kind of like back here. Oh, okay. Okay. <laughs> How did your depression manifest? So it really manifested in, like I I mentioned earlier, just being passively suicidal. And by that, I mean, like I would be driving down the road and there would be a semi next to me and I'd be like, God, it'd be fucking nice if that semi would just sideswipe me and kill me. Oh my God. So it was those kinds of things. And I'm not talking intrusive thoughts. Like everyone has intrusive. Well, I don't, I'm not going to say everyone does. Plenty of people have intrusive thoughts where they're like, Ooh, what if this knife slipped and chopped up my finger? I wonder how much pressure it would take. Like that's, that's. For me, that's like, or if you see a, you know, a grocery bag on the, or a bag or something on the street, you're like, what if there's a puppy in there? You know, (laughs) those kinds of things are, were not the, as extreme as what I was experiencing. It was very much, I wish I would get, you know, poisoned or something and die so that, but it was like, I don't, I'm not going to be active about it because I don't want my kids to have to deal with that. You know, I don't want them to have to 
deal with a mess. I don't want them to have to deal with thinking that they could have done something about it. I just wanted to die. So that's kind of how my depression at that time was manifesting. Um, and it was very much, you know, I went to, I got up, I went to work, I came home, I did what I had to do and I went to bed. And so it was just a lot of very get through your day. That's all you're going to do is just get through your day. Um, I had stopped everything. That's incredible strength though. Let's note that. I, sorry, I interrupted you. No, no, that's okay. You know, I had given up. First of all, in my marriage, I had given up most of my hobbies like that. That was something that I had done. But my therapist really helped me see, you know, she talked a lot about self-care and the way that she talked about self-care was not, oh, you need to go take a bubble bath or something. It was, what can you do that's going to give you time to just not think about everything else? Like what's going to help you focus in a way that's not focused on a problem? Okay. And so some of the things that I did that I really enjoyed and still enjoy, although, you know, one of them I'm going to mention, you can't look at my nails because they're, they're bare right now. Cause I'm going to do them today, but, um, I did a lot of nail art. And so I would sit there on a Sunday afternoon and my kids knew if mom's nails are wet, you, she can't do anything for me. So I have to figure it out. I have to do it for myself. And so I would take a couple of hours and do some nail art on my nails. And, awesome. um, it was just kind of something that was like, all right, if I'm painting my nails, I'm not really doing anything else because I can't, there's, mm-hmm. I, I mean, you just can't do anything else when you're doing stuff with your nails. And so I do all these really intricate designs and stuff. And it was, um, something to help me focus, but not focus on a problem. Yeah. And then she had me journal a lot. Uh, she, but now she had me journal a lot, but sh- my rule was, and this is not the rule that I suggest for everyone. But it is for me because I have a tendency to write something and then read it and then go back a couple of days later and read it again and go back a couple of days later and read it again. So I, I, what she had me do is she had me write it out and either shred it, toss it or burn it. And and I could only toss it if it was trash day and it was going into the trash where I couldn't get it back out. <laughs> so, oh. <laughs> um, was that helpful? It was. It was very helpful because then I felt like. I'm writing everything down. I'm getting it out. Now I have expressed my feeling. Now I have expressed what I want to say. Yeah. Without um without necessarily expressing it to who it needed to be expressed to, but it helped me just kind of like open a open a pressure vent yeah. in myself and say like, "Okay. You're just going to write it out. You're going to get it all out of your body yeah. and you're going to feel a little better about it." And that was helpful for me. It's not helpful yeah. for everyone, but it was for me. Are you still managing depression? Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yes. So when I had postpartum depression, it was um, re- responsive to medication immediately. Yeah. Like I was diagnosed with postpartum depression after my youngest was born mm-hmm. and my OB was just like, here, let's take care of it. So that responded within like a week to medication. I was feeling better. The depression that I live with now is major depressive disorder. Um, and it's something that it does, it comes in waves. It's not like constant. Like I don't constantly have feelings of being depressed, but it yeah. comes in waves. I mean, kind of like we were talking about with grief earlier. Right. Um, some days are really hard to get out of bed. It's just really hard to be like, okay. And I still get out of bed for my kids. I st- There are still plenty of days where I'm just like, 
well, I don't have a choice. I have to get up because my kids have to get to school, <laughs> Right, right. Oh, <laughs> you know, but there are plenty of times where okay. I'll be, um, you know, if the kids are at their other parents' houses or whatever, and I'm alone in the house or something, if it's a bad depression day, mm-hmm. it's just hard to get up. It's just hard to get up. It's hard to be productive. Yeah. Everything. Yeah. And so when did you take this experience and become an advocate for mental health um, resources? And and where did you start and what does it look like now? I So I started being a mental health advocate after my grandfather's disappearance. Um, because like I said, I, I do believe that he took his own life. And so when someone dies to suicide, at least some people, myself included, start thinking, well, what could have been different? Yeah. You know, how how could that have been different mm-hmm. for that person, for that individual to not feel like that was their only option? Right. And so for me, my grandfather, I mentioned he, he was a, ret- a retired fireman, very masculine, not like macho man, but just very yeah. man's like, oh, all right. So when I think of my grandfather think of the rifleman i don't know if you ever watched that show very masculine dude very man's man um and when you're in the fire service when he was in the fire service it was very much a we don't talk about feelings that's not for here save it for your wife save it for when you're alone or whatever and so because it was very um taboo when he was growing up when he was an adult in his career um, feelings weren't really talked about with him. Um, and so even, you know, whenever my son would be not feeling well or whatever, and we were over at, at Papa's house, it was like, okay, he's upset. What's he upset about? Let's go play cars <laughs> yeah. or here, have some ice cream, you know? <laughs> I'm done there. Right. So I feel like if he had known that, hey, it's fine to talk about stuff. It's fine to get some help. If you need help getting through something, it's okay to go to therapy. It's okay to need support instead of just give support. Um, That that outcome could have been a little bit different. So in, he went missing in 2017. In 2018, I started um, streaming and I started streaming on Twitch and I started doing some mental health um, discussions, kind of Wellbeing Wednesday. Mm Mm-hmm. What is Twitch? So Twitch, that's okay. (laughs) Twitch is mostly known for gaming streamers. And so people who will go on and play games and um, people can watch and interact with them while they're playing games, which I do as well. Um, And I used it for kind of a talk show style platform um, where people could live interact with the topic to say like, oh, we're talking about depression. Here, I want to share my experience with you or, you know, conversations like this where it's like, oh, what helped you for depression while I journaled? And then someone else could chime in and say, I hated journaling, you know, (laughs) or whatever it was. And it was just a way to facilitate conversations and make people feel like, yeah, we can talk about this. Yeah, it's okay. It's okay to talk about this, especially in a gaming space. A lot of gaming spaces are really toxic. And so to have a conversation like that, yeah, to have a conversation like that going on, um, I feel like was helpful. And so I started doing that on Twitch. And then I started interviewing mental health professionals 
um, in late 2019. Yes. And then I turned that into a podcast that relaunched just this year. (laughs) When, um, okay. So why are gamers toxic for that community? Mm. Not all gamers are toxic. I'll be, I'll be real clear. There are some, um, there are some game communities that are more toxic than others. Like the Minion Masters, which is a a dueling deck building game. It's not toxic. Of course, you have toxic, some toxic individuals. Sure. Where they'll, you know, they'll uh, get really salty about losing and pop off in chat or whatever. Mm-hmm. But then there are there are communities. Call of Duty is the one that pops into my head for being one of the most toxic, where especially as a woman in that space, like the comments are, oh, go make me a sandwich. You know, what are you doing in this game? This game is not for girls. Go. You should be in the kitchen, you know, whatever, like those kinds of comments. And so um, it's that kind of toxicity, but then also toxicity between the men and those those spaces too sometimes now there are plenty of good players there are plenty of people who are trying to change that in the various gaming communities that they interact with um but honestly like i don't play in those communities because i know myself and i would pop off right back and that's not healthy for me (laughs) when you first started this did you get positive feedback i did yeah and so the feedback that I was getting, first of all, was a lot of good engagement where people would come in and, and talk about whatever it was that we were talking about that day. Um, and then after that, it was the feedback of, oh, have you considered doing this? And that's where the thought to interview someone who was a mental health professional came in was someone saying, it'd be really cool to have someone who specializes in this topic. And I think we were talking about ADHD at the time. It'd be really cool to have someone who specializes in ADHD come in and talk about this. And I was just like, oh, that's a cool idea. I'm going to make that happen. (laughs) Um, And then now the feedback that I get is just people saying, hey, thank you for what you do. I really appreciate everything that you put out there. Um, It really spoke to me. And it's just, it's overwhelmingly positive. The only negative um, feedback that I've had is occasionally... Someone will say, you're not a mental health professional. You have no business talking in this space. And I mean, that that comment has been made plenty, plenty of times. Um, and my response is always, go talk to a mental health professional and ask them what a, what the space is for a mental health advocate. Because I've talked to plenty of them and they all agree, 100% of therapists that I have spoken to personally about mental health advocacy from someone who is not a mental health professional say that there is a space, there is a place, there is a job to be done by people who are not mental health professionals that they themselves cannot do. Right. And so um, they're always grateful that there is someone able to do something like that and to facilitate these conversations where they wouldn't get to engage on a personal level with people because they're therapists. I get to engage with people on a personal level. And so um, you know, that's probably been the only negative that I've gotten out of it is just people saying, what are you doing here? This isn't your, this isn't your, um, expertise. And I'm just like, go on then. (laughs) Did you feel when you created this space that it was also part of 
um, your healing process. Oh, yes. Yeah. Yes, absolutely. Because I I grew up a gamer. We didn't have a gaming system, but my cousin had one. And we would always go over there and play and everything. My my best friend had a couple of gaming systems. We'd always go over there and play. So even though it wasn't necessarily in my house, uh, because we didn't have a console, we didn't have a computer for a very long time either. Um, and so it, I just didn't have the opportunity. I started gaming once I got my own laptop, which was, I think I got my own laptop actually at high school graduation. I think that was my like, here's... Now, let me see if I'm remembering that correctly, because it might have been at the beginning of my senior year of high school, but I got a laptop. My parents gave me one to be like, you're six, you're successful. You're going to go to college. You need a laptop kind of thing, so, which is why I think it was a graduation present. So then I started gaming a little more and I got my own gaming system after I graduated or after I after I went to college and. Um, then stopped going to college because I got pregnant. <laughs> I did go back and graduate eventually as a single mom. That was tough, but uh, I did it and working full time at the same time. So I was I was gaming, gaming, gaming. It was a lot of fun. I always enjoyed it. And then when my husband came along, he didn't game. He wasn't a gamer. He didn't necessarily understand it. And he dealt with it before we got married. He was just like, all right, fine. He even played some games with me on occasion. Um, and then after we got married, he started saying comments like, oh, it's really childish of you to game. You shouldn't be doing that. It doesn't make any sense for you to do that. You're it's a time waster. Meanwhile, he watches football every Sunday. I'm like, okay, right. Whatever. Right. But um, I'm not saying watching football is a time waster. Want to make that real clear. I'm just saying he had hobbies as well, just not gaming. Um, so I stopped. I stopped gaming. And after my. Uh, after my grandfather went missing, my sister and I became a lot closer. She never gave up gaming. She actually, she and her husband game a lot together. And so she got me back into that space and I didn't realize how much I had missed it. Yeah. Um, and so it was, it was part of my healing because like doing nail art, gaming for me was a way to connect with other people outside of what I was experiencing in my own headspace. Absolutely. And so I, I do think that that was a big part of my healing, not only gaming, but also the conversations that I was having around mental health. So when did you um, create your podcast, Even Tacos Fall Apart? So I read. Wonderful name. Oh, thank and you so much. <laughs> I can visualize myself as that taco. So yes. when did you start that? I renamed the podcast and relaunched it this year as Even Tacos Fall Apart. Before that, it was called Words to Your Mother, which I don't think I I don't think a lot of people understood <laughs> necessarily, but it was kind of like we're going to talk about mental health until even your mom gets it, you know? Right. Uh, right. but I don't think it resonated as well, and I love the name Even Tacos Fall Apart. So I'm glad that I that I did go through that um but I I started that as a podcast, I think in 2020. Okay. I was super inconsistent with posting. I think I maybe posted like 10 episodes right. in 2020 and that was it. And then I stopped yeah. and then I, I relaunched it this year under a different name. Wow. So what do you talk about? Well, who are your guests? So we talk about everything under the sun. We've talked about everything from 
sex positivity to death positivity to depression, anxiety, bipolar, ADHD. What's death positivity? Mm. Don't have a good. I mean, once you're dead, like I don't know. Okay, I'm here to learn. Go ahead. Absolutely. So, death positivity. Highly recommend looking up the interview that I did with Lauren Keller. Um, She is wonderful. I can absolutely send you a link because death. Yeah, death positivity is just being willing to think through death, to talk about what you want at at your death and after death with your loved ones around you um, to make sure that you have a death plan in place. Like if you died, what do you want to have happen so that your family doesn't have to interpret things for you and say, oh, well, she wasn't Christian, so let's not do something in a church or, oh, she was highly Christian, so let's do something in a church. You know, if if that's something that you want, fine. If it's not something that you want, just, you know, you got to make it known. Your family is not going to know. They're going to agonize over that and just kind of be like, I don't know if this is what she would have wanted or he would have wanted or they would have wanted. Um, And so it's a way of just saying, listen, I have a plan. This is what I would like to happen with my body. This is what I would like to have for a service. This is what I would like to have. This is where I want to be buried, those kinds of things. Just being open to talking about it because it does feel very taboo to talk about that as a living person with other living people. Um, And fortunately, it was never weird for me because my other grandfather was a mortician. (laughs) So I grew up talking about death and being around death. We went to the funeral home to have lunch all the time. Right. Like, it right. was never weird to me. So, you know, we, but yeah, that's something that not a lot of people think about, but it's important. It's yes. as important as having a will, I feel like. Yes. Um, and just making sure that your wishes are known with what you want to have happen to your body and everything. So Absolutely. it just makes it a lot easier for everyone else too. Absolutely. I have, and I finally did it a year ago. I re-committed um, to it, uh, like a estate planning and a trust for my kids. And yes. Because, you know, being a single mom, I want to make sure that they're taken care of and mm-hmm. they're supposed to. So some of the other topics you mentioned, um, bipolar, mm-hmm. did you interview people that had bipolar disorder? Yes. So we have done um, different interviews with folks who have a live like a a condition they live with. So I've interviewed folks who are living with bipolar disorder. Um, I've interviewed folks who have schizophrenia or even things like ADAD, anxiety, depression, all everything um, that I have been able to find someone who wants to talk about. And that's the thing is that people want to share their story. It's just a matter of connecting with them, which, you know, <laughs> right. Um, so I've interviewed folks who who live with those conditions. And then I've also interviewed folks who treat those conditions. So a therapist who specializes in bipolar, or a therapist who specializes in ADHD or a therapist with ADHD. Like <laughs> that's amazing, because I always wonder how the clinician um, handles the human part of everything. It's mm-hmm. one thing to do all the theory of med school and, you know, specialize in whatever area, but then when you put it in application with the human being, you can't just shut off your emotions. Yeah. You 
connected with individuals and you care about people. Mm-hmm. And um, I'm sure that's hard in itself. Yeah. yeah. Oh, my gosh. So you relaunched it. Have you been mm-hmm. more consistent with it? Oh, yes. <laughs> okay. I know yes. that's an issue, too. I'm like, oh, my God, I missed a week. What? Oh, my yeah. God. Yeah. Um, Since relaunching, um, I... Uh, not like knock on wood over here because now I'm going to not be consistent. But since relaunching, <laughs> uh, I haven't missed a week with posting. Um, yeah. And a, and so to be clear, like even whenever I stopped with the podcast side of it, I was still doing the interviews. Right. So I've done over a hundred interviews. It's just a matter of making sure that they get published. <laughs> yeah, no, sure. And, and you have a you have a lot that you're managing. As- yes. Yeah. And um, I think it's so lovely. Your kids use you as your as their safe space. You know, they recognize they can come to you with anything. And the Mm -hmm. fact that you're helping your son transition and um, your other son with with Tourette's. I mean, that speaks volumes of who you are as a mother. You know, all we have to do is create this um, acceptance and this holy place, you know, just come to me, we'll figure it mm-hmm. out. You know, one of the mottos we have in my house is, is it fixable? If it's fixable, okay, well, let's, let's work on it, right? It's going to be I a- like that. Um, oh, my gosh. So, it, oh, my goodness, I'm thinking here. And do you have any contact with the abuse of because to me, that is a trigger and yeah. I have to see mine. We live in the same neighborhood because mm-hmm. my kids are, you know, I have two kids under 18 and yeah. Yeah. So like, and they, do you get child support? Do you, okay. Wow. Yeah. So we, um, he has visitation. So it's first, third and fifth weekends and Um, I do get child support. And at this point, actually, just a few weeks ago, I finally was like, look, if it's not about if it's not about our child together, I don't want to talk to you. We're done. Mm -hmm. Like, that's it. Um, Prior to that, I was trying to just make sure that everything was civil and keep kind of at least a line of communication, especially because we do have a child together. Um, I was trying to just make sure that everything was Mm -hmm. as nice as possible, I think. Um, but he went a step too far with some things that he said. And I was just like, now we're done. Communications about the child only. If we need to move into using a parenting app for communications, we will do that. If you cannot handle not talking, we will do that if we need to. I've never heard of a parenting app. Mm. Yeah. So there are, there are some apps. Um, I don't know. I don't know the names of them, um, but there are some apps where, you can um, communicate. Essentially, it's like texting. Okay. But you do it through an app and everything is recorded. There's no editing anything. Um, and it all typically goes through a system where if there's anything that is harmful, anything that is um, potentially damaging, anything that is unhealthy, it gets flagged and mm-hmm. sent to either an attorney or like a court case worker or something like that, depending on, on how you have it set up. And which app you're using, but okay. it's just, it's just that extra, le- uh, extra layer of 
look, it's in a third party app. It's recorded everything that you say, everything that I say um, so that there's no, oh, I didn't get that text or, uh, you know, look, it's not on my phone. You must be making it up. You must Photoshop that or whatever, you know. Oh, my goodness. Definitely. <laughs> definitely. Can I ask when your son came to you asking to transition and how you've been supporting him through it? Because there is, I know there's that dysmorphia, is that what they call these body dysmorphia? Mm-hmm. And there's medication to take. And I'm wondering in Texas, do they even allow that medication to be dispersed? Do you have to go to a different state? As as you're talking, I'm thinking there's such a disconnect in Texas yeah. regarding who who people are internally. I, I don't even know how you have um been able to get him this far. Yeah. So unfortunately in Texas, um, they have put into place laws fairly recently that anyone under the age of 18 cannot access those medicines. Doctors cannot prescribe them, et cetera, et cetera, which is complete bullshit. Total, total bullshit. Um, however, because of my son's father Mm -hmm. who did not ever support anything, Uh, He's never been on those medications. So we have socially transitioned, but not medically transitioned. And I have very open conversations with him, uh, with with my son. And, you know, it's very much like we talk about why the why behind things. And we make sure that we're open about feelings and everything. So that if he's having a day where he's having a lot of body dysmorphia, then I know I need to cut it back on like, any level that could be a feminine compliment. Right, uh, right. Like, like I just cut that out. Like sometimes I'll just say, um, you know, oh, you look so nice today. And even that sometimes can be a little too far for him if he's having a bad day for yeah. body dysmorphia. Um, but if I say, oh, you look handsome today, then that's not something that's going to um, okay. be upsetting to him. Social transition is just using name and pronouns that he prefers. So at school, he uses his preferred name and pronouns. I got him some buttons to wear that say my name is is his name. And then it says pronouns he, him. So, um, you know, he's got that kind of information. He does wear a chest binder, although we have very strict rules about how long he's allowed to wear that for. Sure. Because it is damaging to tissue to wear it for too long. So. Um, and like whenever he goes horseback riding, you know, he wears a sports bra instead because it's it's better. Yeah. Oh, absolutely. <laughs> it's more comfortable, first of all. <laughs> but um was he when he came he's here? uh okay. So when he came, so he all right, so this is a hard timeline for me to exactly place because okay. he first came out as non-binary. Okay. And then eventually he said, Okay, maybe I want to use he him pronouns, and then he went back to non-binary. And then, and then kind of back to he, him pronouns. And so it's, it waffled a little bit for a couple of years, but um, I think he was probably, he was probably 12 or 13 when he came out the first time as non-binary. Okay. And I unfortunately don't have like an official date for whenever he (laughs) finally (laughs) decided, you know, (laughs) on one, not that it's a decision, but. It's just kind of like him deciding what he what he was truly feeling. Yeah, um, but he had a lot of working through it to do, and mm-hmm. it's you know he's been 
he's been great about being open about everything. And I also want to make it really clear to your listeners, like I have his clearance to talk about his story. So nice. I check in with both of my kids and they are both very much of the main of of my mindset as well of if my story can help someone else, then I want to share it. So I share the details that they are comfortable with me sharing. So me talking about my kids, like I think some parents just talk about their kids and um, maybe haven't checked in with them to see how much they're comfortable sharing, but he's very much like share as much as you want. I'm good. (laughs) That's awesome. Um, I know so many parents have the opposite reaction. Hmm. Um, Are you looking as a family to start medically transitioning or what does that look like for your family? Yeah. When he turns 18 is when he can make those decisions in Texas legally. And also without his father saying no, uh, without his father denying care. So um, when he turns 18, which is in just a year and a half from now, (laughs) we'll start um, medically transitioning and that'll be, you know, getting on testosterone and eventually likely some like top surgery and that kind of thing as well. I don't know you know, he'll have to make those decisions as they come up. And my job is just going to be like mm-hmm. support. So yeah. whatever he wants to do is going to be fine. And, you know, he's still pretty young. He's still 16, mm-hmm. still a long way to make it to 18 and decide what yeah. order he wants to transition things in um, and figure all of that out. But it'll definitely be in conjunction. He is in therapy, so it'll definitely be in conjunction with his therapist and with other medical providers, whatever the recommendations are at that time. But yes, as soon as he's legally That's able lovely. to, we are planning That's to. Lovely. So let me ask, um, I have a couple more questions. I'm sorry, sure. forever. It's um, all good. <laughs> I talk a lot. <laughs> I too. I'm like, I don't even feel like we're interviewing. I feel like I just. <laughs> um, what does your community do for Pride Month? Does your child feel accepted and represented? So in our community, there aren't any like, we're close to Dallas. So we're about, it's, we're about an hour away from Dallas. So I say close, that's, I mean, an hour is still an hour, but um, so they, and they have like a pride parade and everything and all of that. Um, Here, there's really not that much visible, like there aren't parades and that kind of thing. But he is part of a couple of clubs at the school. There's a pride club at the school and he is part of that. And also like just his friends that he surrounds himself with are very supportive and um, everything. So it's not necessarily on a wider community level that he finds that support. Although I don't think that it would be a problem to find enough people in this community to support Um, it's more of like a micro community that is his support. And that's just who he surrounds himself with. That's awesome. I wish that I was like him because in high school, I just, whoever gave me attention, I like clung, Mm. you know, if I had had those boundaries in place and a better sense of self, I could have really saved myself a lot of time. Um, yeah. So I know we're, coming up on an hour and I didn't even realize it had been an hour because <laughs> me either lovely <laughs> but I want to know as you look back um on your life now I know you're mm-hmm. you said you're in your mid-30s but still 
you have survived things that are unthinkable, you know, how do you, um, has, has your sense of self and your self acceptance, how has it changed for the better Mm -hmm. from where you were at and where you are now? I really feel like when I was much younger, I had a very good sense of self. Um, Mm -hmm. After I got out of the house and into college and had my first child and was a single mother and everything like little bit by little bit, life kind of took its toll a little. (laughs) And then my marriage just destroyed it, just destroyed all of it. Um, And so I feel like in the past several years, I've had the opportunity to find that sense of self again. And mm-hmm. I really feel like I am in a, of course, I still have my own, my struggles for sure. Everyone does. Yes. But I really feel like I am more comfortable in my own skin. Um, I am more confident with what I do. And with my kids, it's like, I, I, I'm one of those people that if my friend doesn't want to ask for ketchup from the waitress, I'm like, excuse me. <laughs> and I do the same thing. Yeah, I do the same thing with my kids. It's just like whatever they need, I'm about to learn about. And so one of the things, one of the ways that I feel like I've grown in the past several years is just learning all these new things, not only from my kids, not yeah. only from my therapist, but from the mental health advocacy that I do, the people that I interact with. And like you were saying, you're here to learn. That's how mm-hmm. I feel yeah. all the time too. Everyone that I talk to on every platform that I'm on, it's like I can find something to learn about and grow from. Um, so I think that my sense of self has really grown a lot in the past several years. And I'm just so grateful to be where I am and be in this place that now I can um, provide a little support to other people, which is great. I love that. I love that. Okay, before we get off, one piece of advice for our listeners, because I don't even want to click off, but I know you (laughs) have one piece of advice and we will continue the conversation again. So one, let's see. All right. One piece of advice. Um, Oh, it's hard to narrow it just to one. So I, all right, here's my, here's my advice to everyone. The only normal people are the ones that you don't know very well yet. Yeah. So if you're looking at someone else's life and thinking, holy shit, they've got it together. It's just because you haven't seen behind the curtain. If you're looking at someone else's life and saying, oh, I wish I had it like them. You don't know what's going on in their life. And so comparing yourself to other people because they seem quote unquote normal. Right. Is so difficult because you're normal to someone else. And if you, if you feel like you are, um, seeking help is going to make you feel weak. Mm -hmm. It's not seeking help is a sign of strength and it's a tool in your toolbox and you should use every single one. And as you're meeting other people and interacting with them, just know that they think you're normal too. (laughs) I want to do Bic lighter in the air as you're talking. Foxfire, we're going to continue the conversation again. Okay. Thank you so much. Loved this time. Um, And what an inspiration you are to so many other mothers. So thank you so much. Thank you for having me. Absolutely.